Welcome to The Greenhouse Effect. Our hope is that this podcast would be like a greenhouse to help you get unstuck and grow into your full potential because life ought to be fully lived. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Steve Perkins. Today's guest is the author of Trap of Success, Gene Hammett. And Gene is a really fun person to talk to. He's a speaker. He's an executive coach. He's an organizational consultant. He also writes for Inc. Magazine. He has a weekly column on leadership and growth. And so it's really fun because he spans the realms of company culture, company growth and leadership, but also personal growth and personal uh, meaning and purpose. He has a top leadership podcast himself called Leaders in the Trenches, where he interviews Inc. 5000 leaders. And it's really good insight that he draws out of people. We'll dive into some of that today. Gene is also really going to touch on the idea of finding significance. He shares a lot about his own journey of loss and struggle and really kind of hitting the bottom and then how he moved from success to significance and came out of that with a renewed clarity of his own purpose and what he was setting out to do. So given that, today we're going to talk about what are the keys to finding significance personally, improving company culture, and accelerating company growth. Gene, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, we're excited to have you, and especially because we mentioned about your book, The Trap of Success, and in the subtitle there is about finding significance. I know you have a bit of your own story around that journey. And um, I think it'd be fun to just dive in and let people hear a little bit about what's been some of your journey in finding significance. Well, I'm going to go back to like right out of school. I, I spent 10 years in corporate America just doing the work that I thought would prepare me to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I know it was always in my heart to, to run my own thing, but I didn't have the idea, didn't have the money, didn't even really have the skills, I thought. So very common back then, I think, just to, just to work. So I uh, did strategy consulting. I did IT work, like project management for big, big projects. I uh, worked for dot-com during the 2000s uh, on e-commerce. And I started a business in 2001, right after 9-11. Um, and it was really just a, an idea I had. It was an opportunity when the, the internet was really starting to get humming. Um, I was real surprised the first time people ordered stuff online for me, <laughs> but uh, it happened and it happened over and over and over. That first year I got to about a million and sounds really good to have a million in revenue, but that's not a million in profit. Uh, I think I did about 30,000 that first year. So my wife, who is my wife now, but my girlfriend was like, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> I, I got this. I can figure it out. Um, uh -huh. I got a coach really someone to help me guide me. I just needed someone to talk to about what, what I was facing and where I was going. And it really just tra transformed my life. Um, I took that business from 1 million to 5 million. And at that point, I started to get comfortable. I was making plenty of money. I had freedom. And I didn't even realize at the time, I talk about doing something really big, but I wasn't doing it. I would talk about a new technology or, you know, a new way to you know, impact the industry I was in, but I didn't do anything about it. I just ran my mouth. And so um, long story short, or where it came to an end was about nine years ago, 2010. So there was nine years of running this business very successfully. Uh, but nine years ago, I had a contract with my best friend at the time, and I lost $3 million on a deal. And that $3 million really just, I mean, 
yes, that would change anyone, but it changed me deeply to the core because I was no longer a business owner. I had a failed business. Mm. Um, my identity completely shift. I wasn't sure whether I was worthy or not. I wasn't sure where I was going next and who would, who would hire me or where I would go. And I, I didn't think I was really employable. So in the, in the midst of all that happening, looking back, I, I really felt like I wasn't really living the life that I meant to live. I was living, uh, chasing success, more money, more, more freedom even. Um, but I really wasn't impacting the world the way I wanted to with my gifts and my talent. Hmm. And that, that really clued me in. That's the reason I wasn't happy with what I was doing. That's the reason I wasn't taking the action I wanted to because I wasn't tuned into that purpose. Wow, that's really cool. What was it like going through that period of, of realizing some of those things? You know, it, it took a long time, just being honest. I mean, it wasn't something I was just like, okay, next week, I'm going to just start feeling better about this. Um, in the dark days of it, so this happened on January 15th, 2010. Um, the first two months were really horrific. Uh, the, the first two months were just, I mean, I, I can't even, I, a lot of it I don't even remember because I was in bed most of the time. Just depression hit me and I was just, I was rocked. I mean, I just lost all this money, all my, I lost my house. Um, and uh, I just, I, I, I wasn't able to function the way most people were and the way I was. And I had to rebuild my confidence. As I started to go forward, I, I decided I wanted to be a coach. Uh, the reason I wanted to be a coach is because I shared with you a piece of my story with my business when I first started. I had a million, but I didn't make that much, much money. And I, I felt the value of the coaching experience. And so I wanted to do more of that because when everything was stripped away from me, I lost everything. I knew that that could never be taken care of away from me, the, the value I bring to those people. Yeah. I mean, what did you do to pursue that kind of inkling about coaching? I went back to that same coach and I said, look, you know, been through a big, tough time in my life. I'd, I'd love to talk, talk through this and see what's next. And her name's Linda. And Linda, um, I remember the first thing she said, she, I was like, you know, I think I want to be a coach and I just don't know if it's a good fit for me. I just lost all this money. Who wants to hire a coach? And she goes, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But <laughs> I just want to stop you right here. You're like coaching is, is great profession, but you're not going to make as much money as you used to make. And I was like, Oh, that's okay. I was okay. You know, I kind of thought that was, I was an exception. Uh -huh. Um, but I was making, you know, four or 500,000 a year. And most coaches don't make that, but I was like, you know, I, I that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I'll, I'll make a living. I'll, I'll be, I'll be fine. So that was the first part. The second part was, you know, I was worried about, who would hire me if I just lost everything? And it, it's a pretty valid kind of thought that goes to your head. Sure. But the reality of it is, and this has happened over and over and over, is a lot of people hire me because I have gone through that. Mm. They, I have been through rough times. Uh, maybe no one's lost the amount of money I've lost, or maybe they've lost more. But they, they know that I can relate to the emotional drain of, of something horrific happening. And so that was a big realization that, it actually could be a benefit, not something to hide behind. I mean, what did that give you as a coach as you started to do that? I still had to rebuild my confidence. So when I, when I finally did decide, I went to formal coaching and not a lot of coaches actually go to any kind of training or anything like that. But I, I spent kind of my last $10,000 and the joke behind this is I either needed therapy or coach training. And I thought coach training would have a higher 
ROI. <laughs> um, and turned out it has because I've been making money coaching others for, for, you know, nine years now. But in that, in those dark days, the first four months of working in that coach training was really applying the models of coaching to me in my own life. And, and my specific journey of getting out of this rut I was in and the confidence. I remember distinctly when there was a moment where I learned that, um, you know, having regret or having um, not forgiving someone really is not um, for them. It's for you, right? When you actually reach the point of forgiveness. And so I was struggling with this. I remember coming home to my wife and I said, you know, I want to forgive the guy who took the money and she's like, what the heck are you talking about? She, but she didn't use the word heck. She, she, she was very <laughs> colorful in that. Uh -huh. um, and I was like, tried to explain it to her and she didn't get it. And I was trying to be evolved and, and like grow past this. But I really realized it was, it came in stages, but the, I wasn't seeking forgiveness for him. I was really seeking forgiveness for myself. And it's really hard when you're inside the problem to, to see that. But through the coach training, it really is like coaching. I, I was able to see it. And I could see the power of it. And that shift, I just, I, things just started happening for me right away. I got a job because um, I had to pay the bills. And I was able to start moving forward. And then eventually, I was able to truly forgive this other person for what happened because it is something that turned my life around in a very positive way. Yeah, it is kind of ironic that when someone's wronged you in any way and you're thinking about it and and holding it inside you, it's like you're actually still giving them, you're actually forfeiting and giving them more and more power over you every time you, you think through that versus forgiving them. Absolutely. I mean, giving them power is the, is the perfect word there because you when you think about something that's drawing energy away from you and pulling your confidence down and whatever, not you're giving them power. And the way I kind of think about it is they would have to do something for that to shift because I've, I've given them that power. But the reality of it is it's really me. <laughs> I had to forgive myself and I didn't have to get something from someone else. Cause this guy never apologized, right? He, he sued me. I sued him back. We went four years back and forth in this legal battle of where's the money and, and where did it go to and um, all that stuff. So yeah, I had to figure out and, and regain my own power through that, Steve. And that's, that's really good that you bring that up. It's really powerful stuff. And I appreciate you sharing some of that story. I'm sure there was lots of ups and downs in between all that. But so it sounds like part of the trap of success is that like you experienced, you, you were pursuing something good but it was lacking some of that meaning or purpose, uh, you know, what you're truly meant to live for versus just the, the money part of it. Yeah, when, when I was writing the book, The Trap of Success, I, I did a lot of research before going into it. I speak on stages now. Um, I was speaking about it before I wrote the book. And so I was, I was working with the message and shaping it and testing it. And one of the things that came out was I was looking at some old notes. I had a coach. I believe in coaching so much. I've had coaches pretty much in every phase of my life. Uh -huh. um, I go through periods where I don't have coaches, but that's only because I'm just looking for the next coach. Um, the, the coach that I wanted to be would be someone that would really change the world. 
and change, change others. But I knew I had to change myself first. And that was really a, a moment of clarity behind this. And I was looking at some old notes and, and this coach had asked me a key question. And I'm going to share the question with you because I think it's a really good question if you're looking for purpose. Is what is the dream that you've given up on? Hmm. What is the dream you've given up on? Because for me, when I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down is coaching other entrepreneurs. And if you look at the time in my life, I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I was training jujitsu 15, 20 hours a week. I was doing living life the way I wanted to. And I'd given up on something that meant something to me. I have no idea why I did that, why I put that, put that down. And it literally was something I reflected on going, why would I have gone through that when I had the money, when I had the courage and the confidence, and I could have helped so many people. Now I know I had to go through something like that to really tune in to, to really understanding myself so I could really help others. That's so cool. I mean, how did you, how did you start to tap back into that dream you had lost? Um, it was the fact that I lost everything. I mean, just plain and simple. I, I remembered the Maya Angelou quote. I'm sure I will butcher it here. It's, it's in my book a couple of times at least, but people won't remember how you, uh, what you say or what, what you do, but they will remember how you make them feel. And I remember how Linda made me feel. Linda, when in the conversations, she was even a new coach. She wasn't even that fantastic of a coach. Um, it really helped me out. But she listened to me and she made me feel worthy. And I got more clear about what I was moving forward. And I remembered those things. I said, I want to give that to others. That's how I tuned into to this coaching world. That's great, Gene. I think it'd be fun to dive into um, maybe a couple practical thoughts from the book or or just from your experience for people who are resonating with this, feeling like maybe stuck in the same spot you were or or just really wanting to tap back into that dream and that purpose. What's kind of something practical that people can think about? I, I would say, and, and this is not a pitch to sell the book, I use this book all the time. Like I take a chapter and I send it to a client. Um, sometimes they even have bought the book, but I just send it to them to, to, to just trigger them. And like mission and vision is one I send to a lot. So I didn't have a clear mission in my business. I just made money. I was just chasing success. Uh-huh. Um, when I realized that significance was something bigger than just success. And they actually, one of the dynamics of this was a lot of people think, oh, I'll get success, then I'll get significance. Uh, they think it's a linear model. I actually think they dance together. They feed off each other. The energy behind making success in yourself and the significance really do help. But in order to do that, you've got to have a North Star. And I, I talk to a lot of great companies, great CEOs. Um, we'll get into some of my work now uh, a little bit later. But I talk to the people and they talk about the value of a mission and vision. And, you know, you could look at companies like Salesforce, talk about it. I interviewed Hilton, uh, the, the, the CHRO there a few weeks ago, we talked about the North Star. You've got to know where you're going, the, the vision you're kind of creating. And so there's a chapter in there that really distinguishes what mission is and vision. And just reading that one chapter is worth whatever price the book is that you're going to get. But it will give you an examples. It will give you guide you to um, give you more of a, an understanding of what you're here to do in life. So that's a big part of it. Um, do you want me to share another one? Because there's another one that comes top to mind. Yeah, go for it. 
uh, I mentioned this earlier about wanting to create some technology or transform the industry I was in, but I didn't have the courage. And what I find a lot of people is they let fear hold them back or they let comfort hold them back. So the trap of success really is about understanding um, how the fear that's holding you back. And we all have it. I think that even some of the, the most successful people still struggle with fear. In fact, I was talking to Sarah Blakely. Do you know who Sarah is, Steve? Yeah. Sarah is the founder of Spanx. And, and I asked her the question, you know, what's one thing that um, you still struggle with after all your success? By the way, she's a billionaire. She's created this, this invention for women to shape their, their rears um, <laughs> and many other products as well. But she's like, I still struggle with self-doubt, which is just another way to say fear. and. It's something that if you don't get a handle on it, if you don't understand where you are and how you want to move forward, it will hold you back. And the money you make and the life you live and the vacations you take and the freedom you create and the, the relationships you have at home and the relationships you have outside the office, inside the office, it doesn't matter. You've got to understand the fear so that you can move forward. So in the book, I talk about the distinction between um, internal fear and external fear. How do you how do you deal with both of those? And I shared those two chapters a tremendous amount with my uh, clients and people that just want them for free. I'll give them for it if they just want those chapters. That's awesome. What's the difference between the internal and the external fear? Well, internal is how you deal with it. So this is like, a you know, how do you move forward? Internal is about studying where's the fear come from? And it's all about you. So it's, there's a series of questions in the book about how do you really understand that fear so that you can make some stronger decisions or get to a place of choice. This choice, a lot of people don't understand it. We all have choices, but we live in life like we don't have choices. We live like it's the only one way or the other. But when you get down and you start to look at, you do have two or three or more choices, you can actually make better decisions when you lay them all out. So a part of my coaching is just helping my clients go, but what's the choice here? Are you choosing not to do this? Because what are you afraid of? So that's an internal. External would be looking to others. So you could borrow from my story and say, you know, Gene, you've been through this before. Where could I move forward? What, did, what helped you through your fear? And you can ask questions. You can do an interview show like this. You can, um, you can read other books. You can do anything external to you, ideally asking someone else, how did you get through this? Was it real? What did you do to have to overcome it? And so that's the distinction between internal and external. What I like about both of those, if anyone's like me, it's really easy to pinpoint other people's fears, but really hard or just I don't take the time to thinking about and identify my own. And so I can notice in other people, oh, like, here's their problem. <laughs> but both of those things help you get a little bit more reflective and realize, okay, what's holding me back? What's what's kind of happening in me? Because our lives are so busy, it's hard to actually think about that stuff intentionally. It is. And and it's hard to see it when you're inside the problem, right? When you you are living it. One of the reasons why consultants make so much money in this world, and, and I, I learned this at a very early age, is because we're not emotionally attached to the way they've always done it. And we come into cor corporations and whatnot. And I did this as a 22-year-old. Um, I'm like, why do you do it this way? And they're like, oh, that's the way you've always done it. But it's such an 
idiotic way to do something that they just do it because of all that. That's all they know. Right. But a fresh mind to it, a new perspective. And that's the power of coaching is coming in. I'm not emotionally attached to the fear of my client selling their services or changing the way they sell the services. Like I have to deal with this day in and day out where someone's need to change the way we're selling. And so we got to get over the fear that is keeping them selling it the same way. It's true. I mean, one of the things I love the most about coaching is like you said to your client, well, what are your choices here? What are you actually choosing? That's such a helpful, loving question. But like your friends are never going to ask that because (laughs) it feels awkward or weird. But a good coach would, and it's not out of judgment. It's just out of helping you get honest with yourself. And I think we all need some of those gut checks. Sometimes your friends too have bought into the story of that fear because maybe they have the same fear. And so if you're not working with someone who's experienced through this, they'll go, oh, it's okay if you don't want to make cold calls. It may not be the best way for you in your business. But then again, I know businesses that, that are run by the fact that people are making cold calls. Like it's the only way they can engage. Um, there are better ways to grow the business, but that's just an example. Like speaking, everyone asked me, it's like, you know, I'd be so afraid to speak. I'd be so afraid to like get up there and share my message. I'm like, well, I've never really been that afraid. Like I do get anxious and excited, but it's not fear. But other people will buy into the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, they don't want to rock the boat or maybe they don't want to rock their own boat by (laughs) helping anyone in the room admit what's really going on. But you know, it, you bring up a really good observation, which is that for us to grow and really start to reach into our full potential, you can't ignore those things. And so, you know, if we really want to grow more and have a greater impact, we have to, we have to actually get honest and address some of those things that are holding us back. Even if it's just mindsets, you know, that's kind of continually causing us to go down a path that's, you know, less than. Yep. So you and I had some fun talking about this stuff in the realm of company culture, too. Share a little bit about what you do in that space, because I think it's really interesting. So as my clients have gotten success, their businesses have grown, their revenues have grown, their teams have grown. And so I've had to change my uh, coaching a little bit to support them through to be the leader and develop the culture that they need for their business. Because the one person shop that, that sometimes I'm coaching with is completely different experience when you have 10 or 20 people. And so I began to look at the cultures of fast growing companies. I studied the top 1%. Uh, these are the Inc. 5000 level companies. Uh, they're growing 1000% a year. Some of the, I, I interviewed Ben Wright uh, a few months ago. 39,000% over a three-year period Wow! to just under $50 million in revenue. And how do you grow so fast? Is, and he's a first-time entrepreneur, but he had to create a culture where others were supported, empowered, and they could get the work done. They could think for themselves. If, if Ben had to make every decision along that journey for the company growth, they never would have grown that fast. So he hired the right people. He empowered them to to make these decisions and do this work and fail fast and and move forward. And they did this with him and he created this kind of culture. So a lot of the work I do now is what I would call getting your employees to go beyond responsibility, which is just doing the work, to create real ownership, which is where they want to do the work. 
Man, that resonates so much because something I've noticed both in my own experience and work, but also just reading and listening to stuff is we're headed, I think we're already in a new era of the workplace where employees and people in a workplace, they want to be invested in and they want to have true ownership. Because I think the industrial revolution taught us like it kind of stripped the ownership piece out of it. And so for generations, we thought, well, that just isn't part of work. And you even hear people talk about like, well, you're just supposed to roll up your sleeves and do your work and get your paycheck, get bread on the table. But that was never how work was meant to be. You're always supposed to have a sense of like, this is something I created. This is ownership, no matter what the work is. And people are almost rediscovering that. And it's becoming more and more of an expectation. So it doesn't surprise me that companies who invest in growing their people, give them true ownership, are are growing rapidly. You know, we spend eight to 10 hours a day. When I was working for companies, I would spend, you know, 10 and 12 plus hours a day. Um, and if we're not growing inside those roles, typically we're not growing because we get so tired coming home. We got lives, family lives, personal lives. We're not actually growing the way we could be. So I think organizations and leaders need to really think about that that we need to understand how people want to grow and provide that level of growth, that level of attention or coaching, if you will. Like imagine a, a leader coaching employees to be more activated or, or have a sense of ownership around the work, even if they don't have a slice of the pie, so to speak. That's, that has really been a big shift that I've seen in culture and leadership today is the companies that are growing really fast have people that are growing too. Is that only is that responsibility only on the leaders or is it also on the employees? I ask a question uh, in my speeches and it, it's really kind of a, a, along the same lines of this. I show a, a firefighter and I show a team of firefighters. And if you want to grow fast, is it the leader, the single firefighter, or is it the team, the whole engine and all the people working together? Well, the answer is it's both. It's not one or the other. It takes both because you, you don't, as a leader, you can't be always pulling some along. You can't be trying to motivate them. You can't be trying to get them to focus and, and, and have, get their work done. Like that just won't work out. But as a team, you can't be expecting the leader to hand you the exact path forward. I interviewed Seth Godin a few months ago. Do you know Seth Godin? Yeah, I love Seth. Uh, we were talking about leadership, not marketing, which is mostly known for marketing, but we're talking about leadership today. And this question really, really just took my breath away when he said it. But I was talking to him about you know, what's the state of, of work today. And he said, as a leader, if I have to tell you exactly what to do, I can always find someone cheaper to do it. And I think about that within my own team. If I had to tell Mary or Jen or Amanda exactly what to do every day, like we wouldn't grow that fast, but they have to know where their role is and where they're going. My job is to make sure they have that and remove the, the challenges in the way and remove the doubt, increase the level of confidence. And it takes both. Yeah. And it strikes me that a lot of people now want that kind of ownership, but even for, even for the ones who want it, they still have to be activated sometimes. You know, they have to get that permission or the leader, like you said, it's, it's on both. The leader has to also communicate, okay, I want you 
to take that ownership, to make those decisions yourself. Yeah, there, it takes both there because you know you can't just have employees expect them to take ownership when that's not not part of their DNA, um, their mindset. Some people think they're just supposed to get a, get paid for the work that they do, and they're they're out at five. I've never been that kind of person, but uh, as a leader, you might you also have to recognize the people and have the hard conversations. Like this is a really challenging part of my job because everyone thinks that they're pretty good leaders. And the reality is it's because they're stuck in a paradigm of leadership, probably the leadership that they got that allowed them to get to where they are was not as supportive as it needs to be today. And as we're um, working and trying to grow and companies are changing so fast, we've got to be much more in tune with that level of growth of the individual. What are the other primary things you're noticing across all of these you know, high growth leaders that you're talking to, what are some other primary themes that you see of how they're doing this and how they're helping people in the company grow too? I'll give you, I can give you a bunch, but I'll give you a few just to, to tune into on this. One is mission. I talked about the power of that earlier. A company that has a clear mission is able to get employees that also buy into that mission. Tesla is a pretty good example of this. Tesla is a very hard place to work. It is, there's a lot of demands on you Elon Musk is a special kind of leader. And I'm not saying he embodies all of the leadership that I think we should all be chasing. But I will tell you, if you just look at the mission of what the Tesla employees are there to do, to change the world on fossil fuels and autonomous driving and and, the new evolution of cars is completely different than what you would have in another car company. And so you want to make sure that your company has a mission that everyone can buy into that you are connected to from heart and soul, and that will help you grow. Uh-huh. Another, another area that I don't talk about much, but I, I want to share this with you because I've been putting together some new training on this, and, and I've got something free for the audience if they want it. But the level of brand ambassadors that a company is uh, activating, a brand ambassador to me is someone inside the company, it's an internal brand ambassador, uh, that loves what you're doing and how you guys are doing it and the impact you're making and that mission, they bought in completely. And they're out there creating podcasts. They're writing for publications. They are speaking on stages. They are doing videos all because they love it. It's a natural thing for them. And a company that has internal brand ambassadors, if they want, if someone says, you know, I want to learn the skills of podcasting and they're willing to do that for the company, like, think about that. Yeah. It's I talked to a few huge. companies where there, there were 50 employees at one company and they had seven podcasts. And I'm like, why do you need to have so many? It's like, because we have different aspects of the business and we have these different people that said, we would love to step in and take, take some ownership of this and, and make this happen. And the success of those actually brought on more people. So I think that companies should be looking at how they can create internal brand ambassadors. I run a workshop about it's mostly about speaking but the combination of speaking and writing has been a really game changer for me i've seen that when i as a company became and thought of my business as the media in my space that things started to be differently like my podcast for leaders in the trenches um writing a book like the trap of success like i get to decide what's in here i write for ink magazine it is something totally where I get to pick the topics. And so I am the media. And I think companies that are 
that are really growing fast or, or latching on to this aspect. It's different than advertising, and it really is changing the game internally in the company. That's so cool. I mean, I've never seen a good company where there isn't at least one person in there who wants to be that kind of ambassador and is already talking like that and would love for more of their job to be like that. And yet so many companies just operate out of fear of breaking them loose and letting them go do that because they're worried about what could get out there, what could happen if it's not going through a million processes. But man, if you can just leverage those kind of change agents that are already in there, that's powerful. I think about it because I'm looking at your mic when you said that. Just give them a mic. (laughs) Give them the mic and, you know, guide them and support them, but let them go out there. And that makes it easier for leaders. Like, because where this came from was a lot of my companies that I work with were growing so fast that they could no longer speak on stages. And so they were turning down these stage opportunities where I said, why not you have someone that you really trust that could actually take an opportunity like that and go speak on your behalf give a similar message and, and bring the business and, and open the world of the business to, to new uh, people. And it's like, I, you know, I never really thought of that. I love it. So, it, so that's, that's something that you're going to be coming out with some content around soon. Yeah. I, I put together um, recently and it's, it really is something I'm proud of, but it's growth masterclass. Um, you can get it at thegrowthmasterclass.com. But what it is is three specific strategies around growing your business. One of them is be the media. The second one is about your sales conversation. And the third one is about creating ownership as a leader. All three of those together are something I'm always talking about with my clients um, when it comes to either the positioning of their business, the sales of the business, or their specific leadership. So what I've done is taking those three things put them together in a very kind of tight format and offer that for free to anybody who wants to grow their business. That's great. And then another thing we talked about, you have an opinion on should a company be customer first or employee first? Yeah. I, you know, I ask a lot of leaders when I say a lot over 300 and I ask a really huge company doing millions and like over 400 million they're a privately held company, so I don't know what the exact numbers are, but they're over 400 million. And I asked them, uh, the leader the other day at the gym, it's like, we're going to do an interview and I, I want to kind of give you something to think about. But as a leader, is your primary responsibility the employee or the customer? And he paused. He thought about it. I could see the look on his face like, I don't know the answer to this. I'm the leader. I should know the answer. And he goes, I think that it's, you want me to say employee, but I think the way we operate is customer. <laughs> and, and I put, I give people a chance to, you know, not feel bad about this. It's, it's a hard question. Yeah. It's really hard, especially if you have a sense of marketing or sales and your background, because in those areas, we're told that it's always customer first, but I didn't ask if the company is supposed to put the customer first. I asked if the leader is supposed to put the company or the employee first or the customer or the employee first. The answer to me, and more than 300 of these uh, high growth uh, CEOs, founders of Inc. 5000 level companies, 94.1% have said it's employee first. So it's drastically skewed toward an employee first arrangement for the leader. Now, the, 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 the real kind of 
leverage point of this is if our people feel taken care of, if they feel ownership, if they feel like they are growing inside their roles, they will take care of the customers. Richard Branson said something similar along that. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of other high-level people. It really is, in my opinion, and it's hard to convince me otherwise, the leader's job is to put the employees first, create the work environment where they're growing so that they can actually grow the business. And that means taking care of the customers. Well, if what you said earlier is true, that what allows them to create so much high growth is because they're delegating and giving others ownership, it would only make sense that, yeah, the amount to which they place those people first is going to multiply their effect through them and all those people can go do the great work. Yep, that's the way it works. And I do still have people that will you know, try to argue with me and whatnot, and I get it. There are examples out there where companies have put employees first, so to speak, and they have struggled. Um, I've talked to some companies that I talked to a guy the other day uh, at a conference I was at, and he's like, you know, we, we were always great places to work, but we just never really made it. And in great places to work, you would think has a good employee experience. They're putting people first. What they were missing, because they told me the turnaround, was we didn't have the North Star. We, didn't, we weren't really aligned behind one mission. We were showing up, doing this work and having fun together but we weren't growing the way we wanted to because they didn't have the mission. So it goes back to that mission, how important it is. It's so great, Gene. This is all really, really inspiring and helpful. And I mean, my takeaway is, you know, whether it's an individual or a company, living the life you're meant to live, having the, the company impact the company's meant to, to have, all comes back to having that, being clear on that North Star and empowering people to own, whether it's empowering yourself or people who work for you to own that vision and mission and really do their best work. And continue growing, continue pushing the boundaries of comfort and find the place where success and significance really dance together in your life. If you do that, you're going to show up. Uh, We're recording this on a Monday. A lot of people don't like Mondays. I have this kind of concept. I don't have any stickers in front of me, but I have that I love Mondays because I love what I do. What if every one of your employees love Mondays because they love what they do? That would be a game changer. So cool. So for anyone who wants to love Mondays from here going forward, give, give them a practical next step. Like what's, what's a baby step they could take right now to start moving in that direction? I, I would say get clear on the North Star, right? Take some time to really cre- think about what you're here to do. Uh, the difference between mission and vision is mission is what is the wrong in the world that you want to correct? The vision is what will it look like when you get there? If you got clearer about that, and if you want to share that with me to make sure you're on the right track, go ahead. If you want me to send you a, a sample chapter of the book around mission and vision, glad to do it. Um, just email me, gene at genehammett.com. Uh, that is something you can do regardless of whether you have a job, whether you are the leader. Are you are struggling, or if you're really already successful, getting more clear about what the next level is? Because a lot of times, I've I've had this happen for many of my clients. They're very successful in what they're doing, and then they lose sight of of updating the vision once they've accomplished so much. And so everyone I know could use some clarity in where they're going. Uh, The second thing I would tell you is I mentioned this before, but the GrowthMasterclass.com is the free training on be the media, the sales and the leadership, but just go to thegrowthmasterclass.com. 
All right. Where can people find you uh, on social or Inc. Magazine? Where, where can people find more from you? If you search Gene Hammett, which is G-E-N-E-H-A-M-M-E-T-T in Google, you will be bombarded by all the stuff that I do and create. So you'll find Inc. Magazine. You'll find the book, The Trap of Success. You'll find my podcast. It's called Leaders in the Trenches. On social media, it's all Gene Hammett. It's, so that's the easiest place to find me. I love it. It's so much. You just made that so much easier. Well, I'm lucky that I don't have a very common name. So I kind of own the results for my name. I don't know if anyone else has, because I've looked at this many times over the years. Like if anybody wanted to, to compete with me about content, <laughs> they would have a tough time. Yeah. Um, they would have to have one of those funny URLs that, you know, not their names. Because I do own genehammett.com. But yeah, it's the best way to find me is just go to Google and search. Lucky man. Having famous drummers with your name and famous athletes doesn't really help a whole lot with that. I get it. I am very lucky in that sense. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to take what I have. You know, it's not as easy as like Seth Godin where you can just Google Seth or Beyonce. So I'm certainly not at that level. <laughs> I've just done a lot of work to create great content. I believe in creating a lot of free stuff. And so I give it away all the time. The people that want to work with me, that want to find, that feel like I can help them, I'm happy to have that conversation. And uh, if it's a good fit, we'll move forward. If it doesn't, we won't. Awesome. Well, everyone, go ahead and get your copy of Trap of Success. And also, if you're interested, check out thegrowthmasterclass.com. And all of these links will be in the show notes. Gene, thanks so much for coming on. This was really a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Steve. Here at Greenhouse Effect, we are big fans of our friends at Belay Solutions, a company that provides incredibly top-notch virtual staffing. They actually provide us with executive assistance, but they also staff bookkeepers, web specialists, and social media managers. And the thing is, their customer experience is just incredible, and they have a way of finding just the right people for your needs. So we want to give you a taste of what it's like to work with Belay from one of their clients, Dave Richards, the CEO of Elite Performance Associates. Belay saved me when I was focused on growing my business. You know, I can think of recently, um, I was working with a high profile, uh, you know, federal government agency on a conference for them. And it had a lot of moving parts. You know, my VA allowed me to confidently let go of all of those things and just focus solely on preparing content and delivering a high value program to the client. Belay follows up with me, how can I give more this constant prodding of, you know, how do you, how can we help you more? How can we pull more from your plate so that you can do, you know, what you're meant to do and what you're best at? If you resonate with any of this and want more information, go to belaysolutions.com slash next step. The link is also in the show notes and we've partnered with Belay to give you $200 off your startup fees. All right, hit us with your book, Rucko. So I read a lot of books. I get sent a lot of free books. Um, if you have a book, don't just send it to me. Engage with <laughs> me. Uh, but I love this book because uh, it really has changed the way I approach work. The one thing I've talked with Jay Papazon, which is one of the co-authors of this. Uh, there's a podcast out there by the same name. But the one thing I got out of this was that you've got to have clarity around the one thing that will help you move forward. And there's a, there's a power question in here. I'll let you find it for yourself. But 
it's been a guiding principle for me and my business. So if I execute on this one thing, everything else will get easier. So that's, that's my book recommendation. The one thing. Solid. All right, everyone. If you haven't gotten that book by now, you're, you're so, you're so late to the party. So the one thing link will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe and come on, do us a favor. Leave a five-star review. It'll help others find the show too.